Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. I am so excited because today I am speaking to an amazing man. Uh, his name is Tim Adkins, and he he's one of my heroes, actually, because I uh, he submitted an essay to Renal Support Network's essay contest, and I was reading all of the different essays, and I got to his, and it just touched me so much. Um Tim has been on dialysis for 40 years. He's broke records. His attitude's amazing. And you're in for a treat today to hear his story. So welcome to the show, Tim. Oh, hi, Lori. Hey, man, I hope I live up to the expectations. I know. I just set them really high. Why don't you give a little bit of an overview to the listeners of, of your story? Yeah, well, Lori, it's, it's been a long story. So I'll, I'll try to do the uh, Reader's Digest version here. Uh, I started when I actually found out about, uh, you know, having kidney problems when I was about 12 years old. And uh, this year I turned 61. Wow. So it's been a long journey. You know, I started dialysis, uh, you know, in grade school, of course, and uh, went through many ups and downs with it. I went through a couple of transplants, uh, actually went to the point of on dialysis after losing the transplants of uh, getting the Guinness World Record for longest dialysis patient. Uh, wow. So, geez, yeah. How long have you been on dialysis? Actually, Lori, I've been on dialysis uh, 41 years now. Wow. And that w- that was a Guinness World Record, and uh, I held it for about a year. And then I found out not too long ago that actually a gentleman in Toronto who's been on 44 years now. Wow. You know, that is a record I never want to have. I, I know. mean, it's but that's it's, what, that's it's really amazing. You know, <laughs> it's not a record years. like you want to have, but if you uh, you know if if you do have the record, why not take advantage of it, right? Well, what's the cause of your kidney failure, Lori? You know, they really didn't know um, when I was very young, like twelve years old. I had a brown recluse spider bite, and they said the toxins from that are so potent that they can actually shut the kidneys down. And also I had uh, many strep throat infections when I was young, and they said that can be also a culprit of uh, kidney failure. So they really were not sure, but they were leaning towards one of those, uh, you know, two things. So over the course of your 41 years of dialysis, how many different treatments have you been on? And, you know, may I ask what access you, what kind of access do you have? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask. Yeah, the the treatments, a literal number, with thousands, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've dialyzed, when I first started out, it was kind of old school dialysis, running right. uh, two times a week for six hours each time. And, and if you can imagine, like, taking a, the energy of a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, and, no, uh, I was on dialysis at 12. I dialysis for six hours. And it's that acetate. That was like crazy hard. It was acetate dialysis. People do not remember the olden days when they didn't have bicarb. Oh, and, yeah, the acetate was so bad. I mean, oh, God, you, would yes. get, you would get so sick. Oh, I would get so sick. Yeah, I would have grand I mean, mal you, seizures. You, you've I mean, done it a long time, horrible. too, Lori, and you can relate. But, the uh, yeah, the treatments were no fun. You would just get so sick, and when... When the bicarb come along and you start doing that, it, it just 
you were like, oh, thank you. Man, thank this you. is so much better. It, it's, it is. We're going to tell people how, how we woke, uh, walked uphill both ways to our treatments, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When my first treatments, you know, dialysis wasn't that common. So I had to drive for my first treatments. I had to drive almost, let me think, about 90 miles one way oh, wow. to, get to, the, to get to the nearest dialysis clinic. So it was a 180-mile trip to go to and from dialysis at first. Well, in that, you were doing in-center. Um, did you ever do peritoneal dialysis? I never did do peritoneal. I've always done hemodialysis. Uh, I thought about that option, but I was still very active and you know, I did a lot of like outdoor activities. I was really big into motorcycles and dirt bike riding. So, you know, I was around a lot of dirt issues and I thought maybe that would be, you know, cause infection. I like to swim and do floating on the rivers. We live in an area where there's a lot of rivers to float. And uh, so I did that a lot. So I was around water and got in water a lot. And for those reasons, I just never really did consider peritoneal. So you, you have a fistula, I would imagine. I do. <laughs> because for people listening, the one critical thing that everybody needs to try to get is a, is a good working fistula if you're on hemodialysis. Because yes. um, I imagine that how many fistulas have you had in your 41 years? I have been so blessed. I have had basically two fistulas the whole time. Wow. My first fistula... Um, got a clot in it all about, I would guess, six years after I started my dialysis. And they went in and actually kind of, they really used the same fistula, so I can say two, but it's kind of the same one. And I've had that one ever since, that treatment. That was back in, oh man, I mean, probably 1980. Wow. Yeah, so I have had basically the same fistula and all this really time. That and it's is being really aware, Lori, you know, like, uh, of, of taking care of it, being aware that it's there. Uh, I used to be really conscious about not sleeping on that arm or putting any pressure uh, or anything on it. I've kind of gotten, I think, so used to doing that. I do it automatically now without thinking about it. But, you know, I kind of baby that arm. I don't, if I'm lifting something heavy, I don't let a lot of the weight, you know, actually set on the fistula. I'll adjust my arm around to where... It's setting on the muscle, not actually on the vein. So, you know, I, I'm aware of it and taking care of it all these years, and I think that's paid off, and I, I've been a blessed man with that. Well, and for all the people that I've known who've been on dialysis for a long time, uh, the one thread between all of them is they have a good fistula. Because if you have continuous vascular access problems, I mean, you don't get good dialysis. You have a lot of hospitalizations. When you have a lot of hospitalizations, you're open to more infection. And then it's yes. just a vicious cycle. Uh, so that's, you're... that's one of the things that I've, uh, my heart has always went out for patients when I was running in center. And uh, patients would come in that had fistula problems, and I'd see them, you know, getting stuck two or three times and, and then you know, just having to go home and not even do their treatment. I always, you know, felt so fortunate. It was, it was just a blessing by God that I had a, a good working fistula and that I never had many problems with it. There was times when sure people, you know, didn't get it the first stick and I had to get stuck again. And uh, But w when I see people that have to do that over and over and over, I just, uh, man, my heart goes out to them. And 
I just encourage them to, to hang in there and, and try to get a good one that works and, uh, you know, it'll make things much better for you. So uh, you're currently doing home dialysis. How long have you been doing that? I've been doing home dialysis uh, since about 2006 now. So, okay. yeah, for a while. And, uh, yeah, I never really wanted to do dialysis at home. And my wife actually kind of talked me into it. She says, Tim, if we're going to, you know, if you're going to do dialysis, uh, and this is actually right after I'd lost my uh, second transplant. And I'd done in-clinic treatments up until that time. And I got my second transplant, and it lasted about six years. But um, when I went back on dialysis after that, my wife said, you really should think about doing this at home. I'd be willing to do it with you. And uh, that's kind of what pushed me over the edge to to do it because it, I, I really didn't want uh, to deal with the equipment and the machine in my house. I didn't want to be reminded of dialysis. I just wanted to go to the clinic, get it all done and over with, get in my car and be done with it until the next time. I didn't want to see a machine sitting in the corner of my house or see supplies sitting in the house. Um, but my wife said, hey, let's try it. If you don't like it, you can always go back to clinic. So I tried it, I liked it, and I would not go back to clinic for anything now <laughs> unless I had to, of course. But doing home is so, so much better if you can do it. I, I would encourage anyone even remotely thinking about doing home dialysis, just go for it, man. You can you can always go back to the clinic, but just right. try it. The it, clinic's I, I always waiting you, for like you. Um, and, and do you self-cannulate? You know, I don't, and I never have. It's just my fistula uh, and the way my sticks are in my arm uh, are at a kind of a weird angle, and it was always hard for me to get to uh, where where the sticks are at with my my right hand. Uh, so I, I never did self-cannulate just basically because of that, not that I, you know, uh, would be scared to or anything. I know a lot of people that do, and I think the ones that do, like, really do well because, you know, nobody can uh, stick like you, you know, you can't, you, if yes, you're sticking exactly. yourself, you know exactly what it's feeling like. Well, and um, you're, but so, I, like I said, mine were always at kind of a weird angle, for, so it was hard for me to get my arm around to, to get at that angle. So your wife um, helps you with home dialysis? Yes, yes. Uh, I usually set the machine up for the most part. Uh, she comes in and kind of finishes things up and then uh, does the cannulation, the sticking. Do you dialyze at night or in the morning or whenever you feel like it? Well, you know, I'm I keep busy, so I do I do uh, change my schedule up a little bit. But my normal routine, I start about six p.m. Uh, you know, actually turning the machine on and the the RO for the water. So by the time I get on and, and get things going, it's around six thirty, uh, six forty-five when I start, and that way I can get off, you know, by nine or ten and uh, uh, kind of wind down for the rest of the evening. And are, are, do you use a, a Fresenius machine or a Next Stage machine? I use uh, the Fresenius K at Home okay. machine. So that's the one where you have to plumb your house for it. Yes, you actually have to uh, do a little bit of plumbing and uh, running water lines for that machine. Uh, Fresenius actually comes in and does that for okay. you with the plumber. Uh, basically, it's just running a water line to the RO and then having a drain nearby for it to drain into. But yes, you have to have a little modifications 
for the Fresenius K all where the next stage is not so involved in doing that. Exactly, a little simpler. Well, uh, I bet when it's uh, 20 degrees where you live, um, it feels good not to have to go out of the house and go to the dialysis center. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is just one of the advantages of doing it at home. If you live in a cold climate and it's 15 or 20 out and you have to bundle up and get in a cold car and then drive how many miles to a clinic, get out, get in the clinic and get... Get done, you know, wait for your site to stop, bundle up again, get back in the car, go back home. When you can just walk 20 feet into your bedroom and turn on a heating blanket that's electric, a lot better. Exactly. I'm I'm tired just thinking of that process. I do not do well. <laughs> and that's and- just one that's just one thing. I mean, and not to mention, you know, you can watch the movies you want on your on your television in your bedroom. You can if you want to cookie or a little sandwich or something you can make one and it just there's so many people want to call and visit if you want to do work on the computer i mean the list goes on and on if family wants to come over and see you uh you know that all that's possible with home dialysis and and much more well and one of the things when i was on home hemo i mean i had my dog who would like to lay on my lap which is a great uh for when you're feeling cold but it also, um, you know, when you go to the unit, unfortunately, a lot of people are sick. They have colds. They have different things. And you really can, you know, keep away from different bugs um, and, I think, uh, stay healthier. It's true. It's true, Lori. Um, not only the fact that, you know, you're around people that are having colds and possibly flu bugs and things, but uh, recently I made a trip to Los Angeles to uh, – to visit some friends and speak there, and uh, I had to run at a, at a clinic, and it had been probably a couple of years since I had been in a clinic setting, and the gentleman beside of me, I, I felt so sorry for him. Uh, he was he's very uh, ill and, and not doing well, and as he was squirming around in his chair, he was moving a lot in his chair, he actually pulled his needle out, and oh. it was just kind of like, you know, you've seen the, the water hose with the pressure just kind of... Uh. I have. Flipping around. That's what that needle was doing, and blood was just going everywhere. And he was like, my needle's out, and I was yelling, hey, this gentleman's needle's out, and alarm's going off all the time. And, you know, it's just, it's not, I'm I'm not discouraging people to go to the clinic. I mean, those things happen, but it just, when you're in a home setting and it's quiet and you just don't see those things, it's very dramatic when you're around it and uh, you see it firsthand again. You kind of forget you get in a comfortable place and you forget. But right. when you're back in the clinic and you see those things happen, it's like, wow, I'm so I'm so thankful to be home. Well, and there's a real push in the community for more people to go on home dialysis, which is, is wonderful because I agree. If you can do home dialysis, I did PD for nine years and home hemo for one year. And mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I preferred PD over home hemo, but I never had a great vascular access site. They tried with fistulas when I was a kid and um, just never had luck with that. Um, I'm very lucky. I have my fourth transplant now. Um, my first two didn't work. And you've had two transplants. Is that right? I have. You know, I, when I first started dialysis back like in 1974, I got a transplant about six months, I guess, after I was on dialysis. And that was really the dark ages for transplants. Yes. Basically, yeah, basically the only medicine they had was 
prednisone. And they only had three. They only identified three antigens back then. Now they have six. I mean, it was crazy. They didn't have like any technology. They just kind of stuck the kidney in and you know, hope, hope for, for the, the best. best. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, well, it worked. Pour a prednisone <laughs> in you, you know. Exactly. And that that medicine is, you know, I heard one doctor describe it as the best of medicine and the worst of medicine. Exactly. I would have eaten a leather shoe. I had so much prednisone in me. I I hated liver. I didn't care. I was so hungry. It was horrible. That kidney didn't work. But it, I, I feel for you. It, it, and that, that was my situation. That first transplant uh, was... Three months long. I, it lasted for three months. I was in the hospital the whole three months. And uh, when I finally decided to take it out, they said they should have actually taken it out a long time ago. It really looked bad. Oh, and wow. uh, I just had all kinds of problems. I won't get into the details, but uh, it was a lot of a lot of bad things. And that's actually, you know, what you said, that the medicines and the um, science has come so far because after that, I thought, I'll never do a transplant again. That was like in 75. And then in 97, I was living in Denver, Colorado, and I went to some of the seminars they were having on transplants at the University of Denver Hospital there. And, and uh, uh, the surgeons were just talking about some of the new drugs that was out, CELSEP and different things, and just the new procedures. And I thought, I should do this again. Went on the list in 97 and got a transplant just about a year after that. Wow. I work in radio. I was actually on the air at a radio station in Estes Park, Colorado. And uh, the secretary comes in and goes, Tim, um, your wife's on line too. And I hit the line and my wife says, Tim, um, Denver just called and they have a transplant for you, a kidney for you. And they said, get here as soon as you can. And I still had a couple hours to go on my air shift. And I just grabbed the secretary and said, here, just let the music play. If anything, anything goes wrong, just hit this button, which is kind of like just a reset button on the right. computer. I jumped in the car and was gone. <laughs> wow. like six hours later, you know, get doing my surgery. Oh, I, I mean, that's, um, that's phenomenal. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your careers you've had. You've grown up with kidney disease like me. And uh, people often ask me, oh, you work? You have kidney? And I'm like, yeah, I've always worked. I've always had a job. Um, and tell us a little bit about your career path. Well, I, you know, I've been real fortunate in that too, Lori. I've always been in, in broadcasting in one way or another. Uh, out of high school, I got a, um, a scholarship to go to Broadcast Center of America in St. Louis, Missouri, which basically taught radio production and marketing and announcing for radio. So I've always worked in broadcasting, mostly radio. Uh, I did that all my life. Um, and it was a great career for someone on dialysis because, you know, there was, uh, you could pick your shift and, you know, you could do a morning shift or an afternoon shift or night shift. And usually the shifts back then were only four hours at a time. So it wasn't a real long time period and you could work it around your dialysis schedule. So it really worked great for me. And I've done that all these years and still have my, I'm kind of semi-retired now, but I still do uh, some broadcasting uh, through the internet and, and uh, voice tracking. So uh, it's been a great career for me. Well, and, you know, uh, I picked your essay as the president's pick. 
And this year, it's on our website if anybody wants to go. It's called Yes, I Am, and I encourage everybody to read it. But this year, I challenged uh, the winners and said, can you read your essays? And, you know, then I learned you were, you know, have an incredible voice and and you read your essay and I could just feel it, you know, the emotion of it. So, yeah, you're definitely talented in the broadcast area. Well, I, I don't have the voice I used to have. Uh, it's a little strained right now, actually. This morning, uh, I, I voice track a radio show uh, at Joyful FM in Johannesburg, South Africa. Oh, so okay. I had to do a show for them this morning, and my voice is a little strained from doing that because I'm interviewing with you uh, after that. <laughs> so I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, stressed on, a, to, on the voice. You need to rest it. Yeah, you know, I love the business, and it's not what it used to be, uh, but it's it's been a, a real joy to be able to, you know, set a microphone and talk to a lot of people and try to encourage them and and uh, make them make them happy through music and. Music's always been a big part of my life. So, so what's yeah, your favorite I, I music? I enjoyed the essay, reading what? that so much. And, uh, man, thank you for picking that as, as the president's pick. That was such an honor and just a, a joy to be among the winners in that, in that uh, contest. It was so fun. So we have so many things in common. What is your favorite music uh, genre? Well, you know, I, I, most of the music at the stations I worked at growing up, were classic rock stations. Okay. So because of that, I think probably, you know, just the classic rock. I love the old, yeah. you know, Zeppelin stuff and Stones and oh, man, just that era of music is, you know, I, I think I'm showing my age here, but you're like, I they know. don't write them like that anymore. I you know. know? <laughs> exactly. The classic rock and, and disco. I, I, I love disco. I, I guess yeah, I'm showing yeah, my you know, age, I, 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 I used to work disco. at a top 40 station back <laughs> like in, in the uh, 90s. So I, I grew up on Madonna, Janet Jackson, you know, <laughs> Michael Jackson, Paula Abdul. I love that kind of music, too. Exactly. I, um, we are showing our age. But, you know, that's <laughs> a good thing because we have kidney disease and we can brag that we're getting older, which is a gift. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the scars on my arm, I'm, I used to be really shy and I'd always wear... Uh, in, even in the summertime, 100 degrees out, I'd have a long sleeve shirt on because I didn't want people seeing my scars. Now I'm like, no way, I, I wear a short sleeve shirt even in the wintertime. And I'm proud. I earn those scars, Lori. We earn exactly. those scars. I know. I used to be a little bit more self-conscious about stuff, but I'm like, you know, I've had over 50 surgeries. You know, I have scars on almost every part of my body except my left foot. Um, and, um, you know, <laughs> and I think my head. I don't think I have. I have a, a scar on my neck. But it's, yes. it's you know, from a parathyroidectomy that I had when I was 13. But exactly. at a certain point, you I, just I, like, same here. you just forget, you know, just like, oh, well, this is who I am. And that's the beauty of getting older. You, you, for, you, you, you pretty much, you know, I don't care what other people think. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, um, so tell us a little bit about how you met your wife and some adventures you've had. Um, because I, I come across a lot of people who are on dialysis or they think their life's over. And, um, you know, RSN is here to help people share their story, uh, to let them know that it's not. Right. As far as the adventure part, yeah, man, I have had so many, so many great adventures. And, you know, one of them was in, in meeting my wife. Um, she was actually a RN. And um, I was getting ready. 
I've always wanted to travel. And um, we met and, you know, we ended up, long story short, getting married. And uh, after after we got married, I said, you know, let's let's take a short vacation and just go somewhere uh, like crazy. And we picked the Virgin Islands. So <laughs> we went to the Virgin Islands and stayed for a week. And while we were there, uh, she said, well, I'm going to go by and and see what the uh, hospital looks like and see if, if they would possibly need any nurses. I said, well, while, while you do that, I'm going to go by some of the radio stations on the island and see if they need anybody to help in. And, you know, they needed help at the hospital, and they needed help at the radio station. So when oh, we wow. got home, on our answering machine on the phone was the hospital from the Virgin Islands offering my wife a job. And another message on our machine was one of the radio stations in the Virgin Islands offering me a job. So oh, we wow. sold everything we had, our home, everything, and basically put everything in the trunk we had left and moved to the Virgin Islands, and she took the nursing job, and I started working in radio and running at a clinic at the, in the Virgin Islands on St. Croix. Oh, so wow. that's just one adventure, man. So if you think your that life is, is over adventure. because that is of dialysis, no, it's just a different chapter in another, in another book. So uh, don't ever think that you can't do something exciting. Well, and, you know, that's quite amazing because, and what year was this? This was in 2008, I think. Wow. So, like, in the last 15 years, you moved to the, how long were you in the Virgin Islands? Uh, We were there for four years. Wow. Yeah, and actually, while we were there, we decided to build a home, and we built one of the geodesic dome homes that's hurricane-proof. Uh-huh. And while we were there, the second year we were there, a hurricane uh, category two that kind of switched into a three came through. And uh, we were in that dome home, and that was pretty scary because we had never, of course, been through a hurricane before. But uh, we felt secure because of being in the dome home. And uh, it, it held up fine. There wasn't any damage whatsoever. Uh, we were actually the first couple to do home dialysis in the Virgin Islands, and uh, we were doing... Dallas in the dome home at that time, and the power was out for two weeks, and I had to go back to the uh, little hospital there on St. Croix because that's where the clinic was at, and they had a big generator, so I had to go back to the hospital for two weeks until they had power restored on the island at our house so we could return to doing home dialysis. Well... That that sounds I'm 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 like speechless and that doesn't happen very often but a category 3 hurricane and you're been sold this dome house that's supposed to be hurricane proof um to really sit through it and hope that you're right is pretty brave. Um, yeah, it was scary. <laughs> I mean, uh we I actually was looking at the walls in the house and Lori, the the water the wind was blowing so hard it was actually pushing water through the drywall, like two or three feet up on the wall. Oh, wow. Just all of a sudden, water would come through the drywall and run down the wall. That's how strong the, the, the wind was pushing the water. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, and uh, so, you know, for people listening, I mean, do you have to work on your attitude every day? Are there things that you do? Are there hobbies that you engage in? What's your secret sauce, Tim? <laughs> I'll tell you my secret sauce. It, it, it's faith and uh, and putting that faith into action. Um, I'll tell you another adventure that we went on. Uh, we wanted to do some mission work uh, when we moved back to the States. This is here in the uh, United States. And we bought an RV 
and took a next stage machine, took out a rear closet in the motorhome and put the um, next stage in the uh, spot where the closet was at in the motorhome and drove from uh, Missouri where we were living to Arizona on one of the Apache reservations out there and did mission work for four months out of the back of that RV doing uh, the next stage machine all the time doing dialysis. And uh, it's just, uh, you got to have a determination that you're not going to let this get you down. You know, you got to have a faith that there's something bigger than you mm-hmm. and, and that to believe in that, you know, and God's been so good to me in that aspect. I just uh, say, you know, I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And we decide to go to uh, St. Croix, like I was telling you about. We decide to, to take that motor home and put a next stage in it and go out and do mission work on the reservations. We did that. You know, our hope right now, I'm doing a radio show in South Africa. Our desire is to actually go there in person and, you know, hopefully do mission work in South Africa someday. And I think, I think that may happen in 2020 if um, things are going the way they keep going. I'm hoping well, they do. I think I have somebody I can connect you with in in South Africa. They, um, a group, a dialysis company brought me over to speak and do uh Traveled all over South Africa, speaking to all the dialysis units and the professionals. And really, so I would love I'll, to talk I'll to you I'll hook about you up, that. Tim. Okay, hey, you hook me up, Lori. Yeah, I'll do that. Well, I won't hook you up. That is a bad term to use <laughs> for people on dialysis. I'm very sorry about well, that. When, when you're talking about dialysis, I, I think it's a permissible. Exactly. I guess so. I mean, um, and and you know, I, I think your story is so inspiring because you. You share your story in all different types of venues. I often hear people who say they want to speak, and they think that they need to speak to people who have kidney disease. And you you know this, and I know this. I speak to anybody who will listen to me. And I share my story in different ways. And, you know, we're, we're about, we have overcome adversity. And that transcends through any person, any topic, any business dealing, any anything. And yes. um, and I um, I've been a member of Toastmasters since nineteen ninety-three. And I still am go to my group, you know, we meet every week. I don't go every week, but and I still come up with new topics and challenge myself because it's work to present and tell yes. your story. And yes, and if you want to speak, if if you desire to do uh, something for other people. And that's one thing I always encourage, you know, is helping other people helps yourself. And if one thing you always can do is speak. And for me, I would say, you know, start calling some people. Hey, you know, I've been on dialysis this number of years and I've went through this and that. Maybe, just maybe my story will help somebody else. Right. And that's what I've done, you know, in all kinds of different situations. Like you said, Toastmasters, I spoke at churches. You know, Fresenius actually had me um, speak to doctors and nurses. They uh, flew me into Atlanta one time to speak. Mm-hmm. They flew me into Savannah, Georgia to speak to a group of dirt, uh, nurses and doctors about uh, the advantages of doing home dialysis and kind of my, my journey on dialysis and, and just to give them a, a platform that they can relate to. Right. And just by doing that, I, I think I've helped a lot of people. In fact, Lori, one person I was speaking to, and this was uh, when I was speaking in, I think it was Atlanta, I got back home and I got an email from one of the um, um, 
oh, I don't, what, one of the percentage people, I'll just say that. And they said, Tim, um, there was a, probably about 100 people in the audience, and they said they wanted me to know that one of the ladies in the audience that was listening, she was an RN, and she had been trying to get a dialysis center started in Haiti, and she'd been doing a lot of it with her own money out of her own resources. And she said she'd just about given up, but when she heard me speak about my situation and my dreams and how I pursued those, the next day she had went and bought a plane ticket to go back to Haiti to continue working on starting that dialysis clinic. I never met her, never knew she was in the right. audience, never knew nothing about it till about, you know, a few days later when they uh, emailed me and said, Tim, this is what this lady did because of what you said. And, Lori, that made me just feel so great. I know. But that lady continued her dream of starting that dialysis clinic in Haiti because of what I said at a presentation. Man, that made me feel good. It's, you know, the psychological paycheck that you get from realizing that you're, I mean, it's pain and suffering. I mean, when you're on dialysis and you have an illness, there's a certain amount of pain and suffering that happens. And when you can make sense of that and communicate that and still have a good attitude and, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many people that I meet and, you know, that they they really, you know, and every problems are different, you know, everybody's perspective, but they may have just a very small problem and it overwhelms them. And we need to be like reminded that there's always somebody worse off than we are. And yeah. I was I was um, watching 60 Minutes last night, and it was showing about the refugee camps, about the kids who have been there their whole life. They've been born there, yeah. and they're trying to get education into them. And, you know, I've had 50, you know, I have a little aches and pains, and I have some problems, and, you know, and I'm like, I don't have any problems. I mean, you know, I have a roof over my head. I have food on the table. I'm, and yes, when, and when you're, absolutely. when you're really sick, you have to reframe yourself, like to remind you yourself. You because do. You know, I, I, I know people in certain countries that don't even, they don't even have dialysis. Right. You know? No. And, but, and we're complaining, but maybe because we have to go in and do our treatments. Exactly. Watch our diet. And, you know, the, there's, there's countries that don't even offer dialysis. Right. And we have to be so thankful and just realize that, you know, what God's given us, we got to use. And and uh, he works in mysterious ways. So don't ever think that you can't be used, that you don't have something to give because you do. Well, and, you know, your attitude attracts people to you. And people have, have often asked me, like, well, Lori, you've done. And I said, but, you know, my positive attitude and my never giving up has attracted things to me. People who have mm-hmm. pity parties don't usually have a lot of people come to their party very long. And so, um, you know, it's important to figure out what it takes to make you, uh, you know, I don't always wake up in a great mood, but I know I have strategies that help me get out of it. And, oh, and, think, um, and think what you've done, Lori, with your Reno Support Network, you know, what you started, all the resources yeah. available for people in that, the people you've inter- interviewed on this program, you have done so much to help the dialysis community, man. My, my hat is off to you. Well, well, thank you. But, you know, the real reason I started it with two missions, uh, I had two missions in mind. An illness is too demanding when you don't have hope because there's a certain yeah. amount of loneliness that comes with an illness, especially growing up. I mean, a lot of people don't relate to you. I mean, I was a, you know, I was like 
24 years old in a body that looked like I was 16, but my brain was like 50. And and mm-hmm. so it was very difficult to often relate to people. And and I didn't have the same experiences of going to school and college. And, and then the other one is one friend makes a difference. And I learned pretty quickly, you create the world you want. And I decided that I wanted to create a world where my peers didn't feel alone and they could feel connected in some way and see other people succeeding. And what's an incredible benefit is this last year has been very tough on me. I've had some different issues that have come up and, you know, I'm 53 and been doing this. My first treatment was in 1968. So 51 years. Wow. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I, I, a couple of weekends ago, I had a pediatric care team barbecue at my house. I, brought, I invited my doctor over who took care of me when I was two. And some of the people, <laughs> it was really quite amazing. I mean, we're all still here, which is amazing. And um, it, it's, it, it made me realize I have such a credible gift. Every year I put on an essay contest. And every year I get to read hundreds of essays that... Yes inspire me like people I, I mean i ask people to be judges and somebody like oh i don't have the time how could you not have the gift of reading other people's stories because that's what keeps me going is yeah. hearing other people's stories of succeeding and how they deal with difficult difficult adversity and yeah, um absolutely. and when you and when how, you, how they take those things that's you know went against them and made them positive exactly you know henry ford had a quote he said if you think you can or you think you can't you're most probably right right." exactly and then i heard one the other day we could go back with quotes but if you think your glass is half full pour it into a smaller glass (laughs) (laughs) i like that and you know it is it's just and then somebody said well what's in that little glass i mean you could go on and on with that but Uh, um, I just commend you. It's such a treat. I encourage everybody to go to our website, read and listen to uh, the president's pick for um, our annual essay contest. And I sure hope you submit next year. And just to let everybody know, when we send out essays, there's no names. There's only titles. And, and, you know, we never know who's going to win until all the judging's done. And then we're like, oh, so-and-so won. (laughs) And so... Yeah, it's a, a very fun, um, fun process, and I can't believe I'm. Uh, you know, it's going to be our 18th year of doing this essay contest, and it's such a wonderful treat. And I'm so happy that you uh, sent in your amazing story, and I'm looking forward to staying in um, contact with you. And I'm going to introduce you to somebody in South Africa that I think you need to know. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about your show. Yeah, let me uh, tell you where to go to, to listen. It's joyfulfm.com. The show runs on um, Wednesdays. Let me think here. Wednesdays at 4 o'clock Central African Time and Thursdays at 11 p.m. Central African Time. Okay. And if you're in California, I think that's a 10-hour time difference. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big time difference. But is it, is it archived on the, sh- on the website? Is there I any don't way think to- it is right now. It probably will be in the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And I'll, I'll give you an update on that. But, uh, yeah, if you want to listen 
that's the time periods, and it's joyfulfm.com out of Johannesburg, South Africa. Okay. Well, sounds terrific. Um, Johannesburg has some of the finest dialysis centers I've ever seen. I Really? I, you know, I've never got a chance to go there. Oh, well, we're going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. So, all right. All right, Tim, thank you so much for your uh, time and your energy, and I'm all excited now. I'm going to go do something wonderful. Uh, Lori, it has been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to what's in the future for not only me and you, but everybody who's dealing with dialysis and kidney disease. Hang in there. You got hope. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.